Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding Podcast, sitting alongside Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. Hey, if this is the first time you're tuning in to the podcast and you like the work we are doing here and you want to support our work, if you leave us a rating and review, that goes a very long way. If you are watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. That helps spread the word. And if you are interested in reading about stock ideas that we write up, go to focuscompounding.com. Uh, that is where we uh, typically blog about ideas. Um, so today's podcast, we are going to be talking about how we find stock ideas. And you know, there's it's kind of weird. Sometimes the best ideas just kind of jump out to you. They kind of come from all different places. Sometimes you could screen for an idea. Sometimes, um, you know, the best investment ideas don't actually, you know, come from a screen. Sometimes they come from people. Sometimes they come from, um, I don't know, maybe walk in a park and then you're for some reason, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's just mm -hmm. so many different ways that it, uh, an idea could come about. So maybe let's talk about how we do it. Um, you know, obviously that's a question that gets asked a lot. And obviously you always blog about different ideas. So you're constantly looking at different companies. So I guess briefly, you know, kind of tell them, I guess, how you typically come across ideas. Uh, so some of the best ideas I get are usually from people who know me and know what kind of ideas I'd be interested in and talk to me about a stock that they are interested in and they want my opinion on, basically. Uh, I think I've said before here that I do read every uh, thing that gets written up at Corner of Berkshire and Fairfax Investment Thread. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> read every um, thing on Valley Investors Club. Yep. Uh, although I don't care about a lag or anything like that. So with any of these things, that doesn't mean that I read it the day. You're not out. a member to Value Investors Club. Not a member of Value Investors Club. And while I say that I do read everything at Corner Berkshire and Fairfax, that doesn't mean that I necessarily read it the day it goes up or something. And um, not some zero either. Correct. Not some zero. Um, and uh, and I subscribe to about 50 blogs, I think, that I keep track of in an RSS thing. And uh, there, there are a few other things that I do. I run a screen uh, for UK stocks specifically. And we also have a screener that we run all the time for uh, US stocks. Generally, mm -hmm. those are overlooked stocks that we're yep. focused on. Mm -hmm. um, and mainly what I'm looking at is like 10-year or more financials. So pulling up the stocks, kind of like we do with the the five minute thing with QuickFS, uh, looking at that and trying to get an idea for it. Um, in general, the best ideas I get, to be honest, are ideas in which someone else uh, wrote about the stock a little bit, talked about it, passed on it, and I kind of see it in a different way than they did. Yeah, yeah. Now, what do you? So obviously, I did say that not sometimes the best ideas don't screen well. How do you right. sort of mitigate against that, or do you like what? Are, what are your thoughts on that? I'd say overwhelmingly the best ideas don't screen well. Almost all the good ideas that I have don't screen well. Although occasionally it screens fine, but then it looks like there's something very wrong with it. I was going to say, or do you think you could find the most predictable companies, though, from screens, essentially? Yes. Because then there technically shouldn't be anything 
wrong within the business because it's a right. very predictable business. So it's kind of interesting from that perspective. Yeah, it's very easy to ha- to find uh, good businesses through these sorts of ways, like recognize them early on, that they're a good business, a predictable business, either from a screen or from finding them, someone writing about them and stuff, because then you can then look them up. It's not necessarily the case that you can figure out that they're cheap right away. Um, you'd mentioned like walking the park or something. That's actually happened to me, but it's not finding the idea that way. What it is is reading about an idea. And at first, usually this is what happens. I read about an idea and I think, oh, okay, that's logical what they said. And then like I will go for a walk or something and I don't, uh, I like to walk and not listen to anything or have anything like that so that I'm thinking over an idea, you know? And then I'll kind of think, um, actually that doesn't make any sense mathematically what they were saying. Like when I look at it another way, I think actually everything they said is wrong because when you look at it a different way, uh, you realize that actually this is cheap or something. Yeah. I was doing that with a, with a bank one time and I was thinking about it and like they had kind of said, Oh, this bank looks a little expensive, like great bank. Everyone was like a wonderful bank, but it looks a little expensive. And then I just thought about it and they're right that it's like the normal prices in terms of dividend yield, PE, things like that price to book normal or high for an average bank. But then when I kind of just walked around and thought about it for an hour or two, I thought, no, that doesn't make any sense. Like all the math says that it actually would far outperform Mm -hmm. um, and it needs to be a lot more expensive. You've talked about the before on the podcast, how some of the best ideas that you've invested in have actually come from reading somebody else's post on a a company where they say, oh, I'm not going to invest in this company because of X, Y, Z. And you just don't agree with that X, Y, Z. And you're like, no, this is a great investment. Yeah, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of the easiest way to think about something logically is because I guess like very quickly you can find the flaw in someone's reasoning. You know, you can just think and go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Because like the example I was giving about the financial thing is uh, it had dividend yield that's similar to the S&P 500. Okay. It's growing twice as fast as the S&P 500. So <laughs> that just on a dividend discount type model that, that tells you, oh, there's something wrong there. Sure. But the people looking at it are like the price to book is the same, the dividend yield is the same, the, the PE is the same for that kind of class of stock. You mm-hmm. know? And a lot of times it's something like that. Uh, we talked about NACO before and stuff. That was a write-up that I thought was a very good write-up, a more of a special situation thing. But they compared it more sort of to what kind of EV to EBITDA do other coal miners trade at. And I looked at it and went like, oh, EV to EBITDA is not important here. And it should trade at a much higher EV to EBITDA than other coal miners. So it's just easy to like see that, you know, and to see sort of the flaw in the logic, good or bad, and think, oh, let me look at it a different way. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important part because you see like hundreds of ideas, but the most important part is finding that angle that actually helps you frame the idea in a, in a better way. Sure. And that's how you end up finding a good stock idea. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious. So at what point do you actually put a stock on your watch list? Like take us through that process. And then okay. how much time do you actually spend, I guess, reviewing the watch list and continuing to like learn about the companies or continue to follow up with the companies as opposed to like looking for new ideas to put on the watch list? Like how many, I know it's like three mm-hmm. questions. How often do you think you look at an idea yeah. and without putting on your watch list, you're like, right. okay, actually I want to invest in this now. Uh, I do want to, or I don't do, do. Um, I, uh, that happens sometimes, yeah. Here's the sad thing. I mean, the, the truth is that I spend way too much time putting ideas on a watch list that I know are not actually anywhere near as good as the few ideas on it. So I might have a watch list that I tell people, oh, I have 80 ideas on it, which is true, but I know that there are five ideas that are much more interesting than all the rest, and I knew that in the first five minutes of looking at them, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Um, so you can waste time looking at all these other things, not that, you know, because um, the other ones might not be cheap enough or there might be something wrong with them. You can't learn about it. But most of the ideas you know aren't of the same... Um, the same certainty that I can find out about them. Usually what I do is very quickly I figure out what I need to know. 
And so a lot of times when someone asks, like, why didn't I invest in something? It's that I feel there's something that I need to know that it's hard for me to establish mm -hmm. that. And like um, you just can't figure it out or what? Yeah. So sometimes we were talking about a company a while ago and I was saying uh, to you, the problem was that it's a business to business thing and it's basically hidden from the public view. Mm -hmm. So when the public deals with this company, they actually don't know they're dealing with it. And then it's a small part of the business, uh, their customers, it's a small part of the customer's business. So the customers of theirs or the suppliers, it's a little complicated but it's sort of an exchange. The suppliers to it um, wouldn't talk about it because it's not a big enough component to them. Sure. You know? So it's hard to get information on that, whereas it's easy to get information on something that's customer-facing and like consumer-facing, and you can find out more about it. So I often reach some point where it's like, I need to know scuttlebutt about this or whatever, um, and that sort of thing. So I, you know, I'll quickly decide on that. Um, and be able to decide, you know, uh, that I need to learn about this particular thing. Uh, so that eliminates a lot of stuff quickly because it's like um, we'll be looking at something and I'll, I'll kind of figure, well, I kind of need to know uh, the price of some commodity in the future, have an opinion about it, and yeah. I don't. So then that's off the list, you know. Mm -hmm. Or I need to know, um, I was talking about insurer or something where I said I need to know, you know, what their loss, um, what their likely losses are in the future and stuff, and they were changing what kind of business they were doing all the time. So I can have an insurer that's doing the same thing all the time, high on the watch list, but very quickly I know that I would eliminate an insurer that keeps changing what it's doing because I just can't evaluate that, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. Is there any industries that you just kind of throw away right off the bat when you're Pre looking at it? Pretty close. I throw away retailers off the bat. Yeah. And, and other than retail, because I feel like you invest in a lot of stuff that other people probably would not be interested in. Uh, in learning about. Yeah. I don't see so, a lot of people like, uh, you know, writing about like cement companies or, right. or lime companies or stuff yeah, like that. So I would say I will throw out globally traded commodities generally. I can't think of any case where I would buy a company that's involved in globally traded commodities. So you mentioned commodities, but those are commodities with a low value to weight ratio. It's hard to move them very far. I've invested in things like... Um, Aggregates, I've invested in things as basically rock, uh, like you said, looked at things that are lime and, uh, and uh, cement and things like that. But uh, those are things that you don't generally ship that far. Uh -huh. Whereas things like if someone was talking about um, lithium, gold, uh, oil, those things would be hard. Sure. I mean, I have written up some things about them, but it's just that that's difficult. I'd, and it's hard for me to invest in most businesses in which there's a major import component to it too so anything just a lot of things that have global competition would be hard so did you ever use twitter to sort of source through ideas i know obviously you don't have a twitter now yes. but i guess prior to me i guess doing you know twitter for right. us um did you ever use twitter i mean because a lot of people listening probably have a twitter right and i didn't know if you had anything to uh, suggest or any advice when it comes to that uh, on my, how to use Twitter with, with advice, honestly, ideas and stuff. My experience for Twitter and for having a blog is that you get much better comments if people email you. Really? And so I took off comments and things and found it much, much better. When people email you directly, it's much better than if they comment on things that they know other people can see. Mm -hmm. So when they comment on things other people can see, now, of course, Twitter, they could DM you. But when they uh, comment on things other people can see, they're kind of playing more to that audience, too, and stuff, and it's a little different. When they talk to you directly, I found that the quality of the ideas and just the dialogue was a lot better. So, and then when... You know, we say, obviously, sometimes some of the best ideas don't actually come from screens. Right. How do you get past that, you know, that first step of saying, okay, this looks ugly, but I'm going to take a look at it? You know, because not a lot of people do that. Is it like, oh, the numbers look weird, but the business looks interesting? Yeah. Or I know it's in an industry where historically it's a very profitable industry or there's right. a lot of cash generated in this industry. I mean, how do you sort of get past that? You know what I'm saying? Sure. So for me, the, although we do talk a lot about the historical financial numbers, that's not what I'm thinking about when someone's telling me about a stock. 
uh, one thing that I'm maybe a little different from some other people is that I'd say at least 50% of what I'm interested in is the industry. So actually, when someone starts talking to me about a particular private bank, I want to learn about private banking. Mm-hmm. And is that a business I want to be in or not? A, particularly consul- a particular consulting company. I want to learn about consulting, whether it's a business I want to be in or not. And I would say easily 50% of that is that. So I, I'm not that eager to buy like the best company in a really bad industry or something like that. I want an industry that, that I'm um, comfortable with, that I think the economics are good. I care a lot about the product economics. And I've talked sometimes with you about like um, how... I think of something and think this is a great asset that I would want to own, you know, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know that the management is good or the company in its current form is good. Yeah. And I always watch those things because it could turn out that something will change and you'll be able to get access to that, you know, but we were talking about something sim- uh, a while ago, which I thought had a large moat and was a great asset, but we were actually talking with someone and I, I said, my concern about it is I'm not sure that uh, it's ever been competently run. And he was yeah. like, well, I've looked into it. And I think it has been incompetently run the whole time yeah. <laughs> from people have told me that. And you know, that's, a concern but at the same time that's the kind of thing i watch because i'm like this is a great asset if it's controlled by someone who's doing smart things with it so whether you want to call that a moat or whatever i'm always interested in something that like that way rather than um uh, that it's a thing that that basically it's a thing you'd want to own all of that's usually my test really when thinking about it is just thinking would i want to own this as a private business myself you know Mm -hmm. and and that's not always a good decision in terms of like actually buying the stock because of course you could have people in there doing things you don't want, the wrong management team and stuff. But it's always a good idea to like follow that thing. Sure. If it's an asset you would like to own, like if I think, um, for example, I would, yeah, like I would probably want to own a cement plant. So then I should look at those. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. would like to own uh, certain quarries and things. If someone offered to sell them to me, I'd really consider that, you know? But then it's just really the process. No, I would never buy a retailer. Yeah, yeah. Like if someone offered to sell me all of a retailer? Yeah. No. Never would I, I would never buy a retail chain for someone. And it's just the process of kind of reading about the business and saying, okay, well, I read about it. I think it's a good industry or I think it's in a good, it's a, it could be a good business. Like there's other good businesses in this industry, but this one just kind of sucks and move on to the next one. Yeah. And reversing it, which is like, how badly can this get screwed up? Um, what are the kind of headaches that there is normally in this uh, sort of thing? How have I seen other people mess this up before? Mm. Um, even when we talked about something like NACO or something, I was mentioning that there was another company that people would always talk to me about that did very similar things. About half their business was like the same as NACO, but they put up the capital. And so that's a dangerous thing compared to what NACO was doing. So like comparing them and looking at that, and I kind of knew a little bit about that company before I looked at NACO. So that sort of thing. It's often looking at other companies that way. Like you've seen yeah. how many bad banks and insurers there are. That way when you see a good one, you're really impressed by it. Sure. Um, Monish Pabra is obviously pretty famous for yes. um, you know, getting ideas and this idea of cloning right. from other investors yep. and stuff like that. I mean, how much of your time is spent or have you ever bought in a stock where you're just kind of seeing what other investors have, have purchased and you're like, wow, that's kind of interesting and you did due diligence and ended up buying it? Non-blog related. Let's talk about super investors. Oh, super so investors? Yeah. No. I can't think of any case in which I've invested in the same thing that Super Investor did. Uh, although I have, you know what I have done with Super Investors is that I think that certain Super Investors are very smart in terms of business analysts, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, I'd say like examples would be, to me would be Glenn, Gre- Glenn Greenberg, um, Tom Russo, Warren Buffett. Those are three good examples. If they buy something in an industry, then like, why would they buy something in that industry? That will get me interested in that industry. That yeah. They must see something that I don't know. I don't know that they're great. At, I mean, that they're always great at picking stocks mm-hmm. um, and that that stock pick is going to be successful. But if they are 
buying something in an industry, it's probably a more interesting industry than I thought if it's something that surprised me. So it's really like, so even like from our approach of of investing in overlooked stocks, which obviously Warren Buffett, Rousseau, and Greenberg, yeah, yeah. yeah. is never going to, you got me messed up, (laughs) is never going to invest in the type of companies that we're going to invest in. But you could say, okay, well, they're investing in this company, so let's take that approach maybe and look for companies in our space. And you know who's very famous for doing that is actually um, uh, Guy Spear. Yeah. In his book, uh, Education Value Investor? Yeah, I was going to call it The Art, but yeah, Education of Value Investor. I'm really bad with, with titles. <laughs> well, you got am. his name. So yeah, I got yeah. his name. I mean, I'm normally bad with the author's <laughs> name, which is probably worse. But he talked about this idea of, okay, so when you find a really great company here in the United States, like kind of look overseas to see if there's another business that's very yes. similar to it, and it may be more overlooked because it's overseas. Yeah, and we did that because I was interested in car dealers and thought they weren't that cheap in the U.S. So I looked for them in other countries. Mm-hmm. I've also done that with uh, we've t- I've talked a little bit about like ad agencies, consulting things, stuff like that. Same thing. I've looked, I've liked ones in the U.S. and some other countries, and then I've looked for smaller versions of that in less well-known markets because mm-hmm. I think they're cheaper. In some cases, there are there's some industries where they're a lot cheaper. And I'm not sure always why that is. Just the stocks are not as popular, even though the economics seem very similar. Um, and that's a good comparison. That's usually what I do is like, if I see a company, I try to think about like reverse engineering it in the sense of, okay, what other companies have these sorts of returns on equity growth, that sort of thing. Are they actually trading this cheaply? Um, and you know, when you find something that, I mean, a lot of times the best idea isn't the cheapest looking idea. It's an idea that looks a little cheap or somewhat, um, normal, but is something really unusual, you know? Um, the hard ones are the cheap businesses that are bad, but they're really cheap or the great businesses that are really expensive. And you know, right away, you know, it's a great business, but it's trading at eight times sales. That's hard to overcome. Sure. It's a terrible business, but it's trading at two B. That's pretty easy to overcome. So yeah. you, even if I'm right, that it's a terrible business, you know, you, you may want to buy everything at a two P. It's kind of like Kodak. Know? They say Kodak when it's true is overvalued at, you know, three times earnings. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because it was a terrible business. Yeah. But a lot of them for us, I think mostly a lot of them are, appear to be somewhat in the middle. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that have been the most attractive is that for some reason, people don't think of them as hot growth stocks, but they're also not super cheap value stocks. Now, I say that on the other hand, we buy a lot of things at single digit PEs, which to some people listening to this are like, oh, that's a deep value stock, you mm-hmm. know? But, you know, we don't buy a lot of things at low, uh, well, we buy some things at below a price to book of one. So I don't know. We, I guess we do buy some value things, mm-hmm. but they're always cheaper things than what we buy. Yeah. You know, there are net nets out there. And stuff. But there is the other part of the discussion that, says, you know, where sometimes you could buy these companies for 20 to 25 times earnings and they're undervalued over time. We've talked about Copart yep. a lot on this podcast. How mm-hmm. We both, even when we weren't even looking together, I've always liked the company, but always said it was kind of expensive. Yep. But it just has done nothing but go, it's up like 400%. Yeah. yeah, you know? Yeah. And there's lots of uh, stocks where that's true. I was talking about that before where I was talking to you about like a list of like four different stocks that I thought were uh, about six years ago that I thought were overvalued. Uh, or too expensive to recommend, let's put it that way, Um, but that I love the businesses. And if you have to buy something uh, regardless of price, these are like the four. Mm -hmm. Well, they all outperformed the (laughs) S&P 500. So, I mean, it it does tell you if you're right about the business, like you're completely right about the business, that you'll do okay that way usually. Though there are some strange exceptions like, you know, nifty 50 type stuff where actually things start trading at 
60 to 100 times earnings or something insane. You, I mean, price to sales is the easier way to see it. Mm-hmm. If you see things trading at price to sales of 10 or something, that's, I mean, unless it's a tiny, tiny company that's growing incredibly fast, that's almost impossible to overcome that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can usually tell that way. But it is true that if you're, if you're right about the business for, for the long term, then yeah, I mean, we're probably, we're too sensitive about price. I mean, we've said that before. We, mm-hmm. my, all the mistakes that I made have been buying the wrong stock. It's never been paying too much for it. But that's my mistakes. I know lots of other people who pay, who pay too much for a good business. Mm-hmm. It's just, I haven't done that. Sure. You know? What about, um, so for people that, for example, don't have others bringing right. them stock ideas like we do mm-hmm. and like I sort because there's like a network or whatever so right. what would you suggest to people so find blogs probably stuff yeah. that makes sense to you you can understand the way that they're investing you like the way mm-hmm. that they think about investing um, use screens right yeah what else I think the easiest is to read uh, a write-up that someone else did briefly that talks about the company mm-hmm. so literally things like corner of Berkshire and Fairfax and value investors club because you'll quickly get uh, an idea But also be able to sift through kind of the chatter and stuff like that, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you just look at the idea. You don't look at what they say about it. Yeah. No, all those things. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to sift through that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, even with blogs, honestly, there are certain blogs that I like and I uh, read. But what I do is I actually just um, print out all their past things. Mm -hmm. And then I just go through it with a a pen and stuff. I mean, I go through most ideas and things that I look at. I have a calculator and pen when looking at them. Yeah, you don't – I don't care. I mean, I shouldn't say I don't – yeah, pretty much true. I don't care what people say about it. Yeah. I don't care what their opinion is about it. I don't care if they think that this is a good stock or bad stock or whatever. I'm looking for them giving some insight into numbers and things. Not just numbers, but some insight into the company. Mm -hmm. But I don't care if they think that, um, like if they like management or don't like management or whatever, I don't care. I really do think a good approach to it is if you like the business, right? And even if you're looking at the company, the numbers don't look good from the snap judgments. And I know we'd make these snap judgments Mm -hmm. and that's obviously a popular segment that we do. But it's good, I think, to, if you like the business, and maybe the numbers don't look so great from the offset, but you could kind of little read a little bit more into it. That could be a good way to find something that's uh, potentially undervalued or just kind of you know not found by the market. And the way I'm talking about it is we recently were looking at a company that um, uh, they like do casinos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of another business that we did like yeah. in the past um, that we actually couldn't we didn't end up buying. It would have been very tough for us to buy. So that's why I looked at this other company because it reminded me of that company. And I ended up not liking the company that I looked at for yeah. various reasons. But that's kind of, I think, a good way to approach it as well. The, the best thing is always to apply as much as you can from a previous thing you looked at to it. Like Buffett talks about expanding your circle of competence. It's easiest to sort of have a web of knowledge that you move because you see a connection. Usually a really good way of doing it is like peers, but also then moving from peers to things like customers and, and suppliers and things like that. I mean, you know, when we talked about like commodity things that I'd owned, I owned something that, you know, uh, think about it, uh, a gravel pit, a, um, lime company and a cement company are all incredibly close in terms of what they do, the economics of it. And they're also just close in terms of all that stuff's going into the same final products and stuff. So it's easy to analyze that kind of thing. And you start to know about it, you know, mm-hmm. by doing that. Whereas if you're bouncing around from uh, industries that have nothing to do with each other, it's a lot harder because you have to find the commonalities in whatever you're doing. Sure. And that's even true. Like we talk sometimes about banks and insurers that people don't, um, 
like investing in them and whatever. But if you spend a lot of time thinking about banks, a lot of times thinking about insurers, a lot of times thinking about um, other financial services companies, right? And thinking about float and stuff like that, you kind of get an understanding of the economics of it that's important, like what those liabilities, the value of liabilities, you have low cost liabilities. And but the more you know about insurers, the better you're able to analyze banks, to be honest, and vice versa. And if you haven't analyzed any of them, then it's hard to do that. Sure. And like for me, I have, don't analyze that many retailers. So probably if I spent all my time analyzing retailers, I'd get better at it. You mm -hmm. know, um, But you just want to focus on things that are fairly close to what you already know, but look attractive, like applying knowledge that you already have. All knowledge is cumulative. Yep. I like it. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Mr. Jeff and myself. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. And of course, if you're listening on the podcast and you want to support us, leave a rating and review. That goes a long way. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us. We'll see you in the next podcast. Take care. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to follow along.